Ezekiel was one of the first Jews to be captured by Babylon. So why did that make him one of the lucky ones? How are the Jews of Ezekiel's day similar to the people during the tribulation period? And Jesus says that God answers every prayer. But is that answer always yes? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. My name is Luke Taylor, and I live in the Midwest, where we see our share of tornadoes. In fact, the town that I live in, it had a section that was wiped out by a tornado a little over a decade ago. Not just a section, I mean a big swath of the city, totally gone. Now, we have rebuilt, but it did record-setting damage. It killed quite a few people. Um, a lot of places that you know, you'd know you seen your whole life, driven past your whole life, were just totally gone. Uh, one of those places was called the Stained Glass Theater. Now, this was a group in town that always put on really good quality shows for many years. And uh, actually, the night of the tornado, some of the community volunteers were actually out there at the, at the Stained Glass Theater, and they got killed the night the tornado went through. Um, well, anyway, the, the theater group, they ended up buying another building in town and renovating it a few years later so they could put on shows once again. And uh, I remember going to one of their first shows back. It was called A Christmas Carol. Now, that's based on a play by Charles Dickens, um, actually a story that he wrote. And it's been turned into a play, turned into movies. Um, it's a really fascinating story. Ebenezer Scrooge, he's visited, visited by a ghost, and he's taken by this ghost to different times and different places, and this is where he learns about himself and, and learns about his impact on society and decides to be a better man. I don't want to spoil too much of it, because if you haven't seen it or, or read it, um, you really need to go see it for yourself. It's just, it's a brilliant story. Um, and one interesting story technique that they use to, to communicate this story is that Ebenezer Scrooge is like walking through these other places, and he's basically a ghost himself. He's just kind of walking amongst the scenes Nobody can see him or hear him. He's just this observer, kind of like a spiritual spy as he goes on the journey. And it, it reminded me uh, of that as we went through these last few chapters of Ezekiel. We're going to wrap up, we'll start to wrap up a section of Ezekiel that we started in three or four months ago. Um, at, back whenever we started with chapter 8 and going through chapter 11, we've been inside this massive vision where God picked Ezekiel up and brought him to Jerusalem. And so Ezekiel is not physically present in Jerusalem. You know, you gotta, you got to think of him like Scrooge. He's kind of peering into these other places like a spiritual spy, and he's seeing what's going on outside of his little world. So let me recap, because it has been a while. Um, if you're back with us today, thanks for being back with us. Um, you know, if you're listening to this years down the road, then you, you might not realize, but I had to take about a month off from doing the podcast um, while I was in the midst of a move. And uh, I'm still kind of, my life's still kind of in flux. I'm not sure quite where I'm going to land just yet. But I had to take a little break from doing the podcast because I was getting my stuff stored away and moved around. And um, I'm recording in a different place today. Uh, I'm recording down in a, in a basement. And so a little bit different sounds than we're used to. You know, you might hear, you might hear the, uh, the air conditioner unit running right outside the door over here um, you, if you hear that fired up. So that's, that's what some of my, back, my background sounds are 
as I'm recording in this new place. But anyway, if you can push all that to the side. Uh, I really wanted to get back into our Ezekiel study because I hated to let it go by. I hated not being able to record for the past few weeks, but I finally did have some time to uh, to settle down and and get, get this little mini studio set up um, downstairs in this basement. I'm sitting at a pool table, and, and we'll just do the best we can. And, and most importantly, I've had time to really put a lot of study into chapter 11. I really wanted to cover all of chapter 11 all in one go, like all in one program. But, uh, and I, I originally wrote this lesson that way, but I just kind of agonized over it because it, it was too much to do all in one lesson. It would have been just a really long program if I had done that. So I decided to split this chapter up and kind of just get two mini or shorter lessons out of it, maybe two regular sized lessons out of it. And so since it has been a little while, let me go ahead and recap for you. Ezekiel's been taken captive and he's trapped in this little town called Tel Aviv. Uh, tell, he's taken captive by the Babylonians, and he and the other Jewish captives, they were hopeful that someday their Jewish brethren, um, with the power of God, that they would show up to Tel Abib and set them all free. But what God has been showing the Israelites in Tel Abib, this is not going to be the case. In fact, those Jews who are still alive and free back home, they're about um, they're not about to mount a rescue mission. They themselves have been marked for slaughter. God has been making this clear and will continue to make it clear in the verses that we read today. Uh, In fact, most of God's messages in this book, they only last one, maybe two chapters sometimes. But this big vision that we're in, it's four chapters long. It's a massive vision in which God shows Ezekiel that there is pagan worship going on back home, back at the temple in Jerusalem. And this is when God says, enough is enough. In a few years, Jerusalem is going to be besieged and destroyed. And if you, you know, you read that, you say, well, but even God's holy temple in Jerusalem, even God's temple, God says, it's not my temple anymore. God says, I'm leaving. That's what chapter 10 revealed to us, that God was vacating the temple and he's not coming back anytime soon. So in chapter 11, the vision is starting to wrap up. Like I said, I really wanted to wrap out the, I really wanted to knock out the whole chapter all at once. Um, but after finishing my study, it just became clear this would work a lot better as two shorter episodes rather than one extra long episode. So we're going to cover the first half of chapter 11 today, and then come back a couple episodes from now. We'll conclude the chapter and this whole vision as a whole. Uh, But first, I don't want you to miss the exciting news that the first half of this chapter has for you. Ezekiel 11.1 The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the house of the Lord, which faces east. And behold, at the entrance of the gateway, there were 25 men. And I saw among them Jazaniah, the son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of the people. Now, I want to pause there after verse 1, because it has quite a bit going on there, just in the first verse. God has already announced at the end of chapter 11 that he's leaving the temple. Chapter 11, it kind of goes back to the reasons that God is leaving, and he explains it all one more time. So just like Scrooge was led around by a ghost, Ezekiel is being led by a ghost, the Holy Ghost. Now, I know we don't say Holy Ghost a lot nowadays. Uh, We say Holy Spirit, but ghost just means spirit. It's the same thing. So, you know, you can say Holy Ghost. That's fine. Ezekiel is led by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit to the outside gate of the temple. And out here are 25 men. Now, if that sounds familiar, he had found 25 men inside the temple earlier. And I, I, if you remember, I took them as representing the leadership of Israel. 
Now, I'm not sure if the 25 men that Ezekiel sees now, if they're the same 25 men or a different set, it doesn't really matter. These 25 men, they just, once again, they represent Israel's leadership. Ezekiel sees a couple men that he himself even recognizes. One is Jazaniah and the other is Pelatiah, and they're called princes of the people, and that means they are leaders. So what are these city leaders discussing here? Well, it picks up in verse 2, and he, and again, this is the Holy Spirit, he said to me, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and who give wicked counsel in this city, who say the time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron, and we are the meat. Therefore prophesy against them. Prophesy, O son of man. So let me break in here again. The men are saying that the time is not near to build houses. Now, this, this is a phrase that even the linguistic experts on Hebrew, like who translate the Bible, they are not even quite sure how to translate this phrase. What it should probably be read as is it should be read as like a question, okay? Not a statement. They're, what they're really saying is the time is not near to build houses, meaning the prophets have told the men to stop planning for the future and instead to plan for destruction or deportation and captivity. And, and the, basically the men are standing around questioning this directive of the prophets. They're saying, you mean we shouldn't keep building? You know, so they have this attitude of being negative towards God's warnings, and they want to do the opposite. So instead of getting ready for Babylon to roll up to their doorstep, they're over here questioning that idea. They're like, I mean, we shouldn't be building houses right now. And, and honestly, it kind of reminds me of what the attitudes of people will be like during the tribulation. Um, as you probably know, that tribulation in the future, it goes on for seven years. And the world is falling apart during that time. You know, people are dying left and right. Most of the world population at that time, they won't survive until the end of the seven years. There's going to be a lot of death and bloodshed. And yet, there will always be a great number of people, the Bible says, who keep denying that the end is near. Right up until six years and 11 months into that thing, there are still people who are planning for the future. They are ready to rebuild, and they want to try to reestablish some normalcy instead of repenting before it's too late. And, and that's what these men are like, too, here in, this, in Ezekiel 11. They want to keep building. They want to keep planning for the future, planning Jerusalem's future, city planning. They are denying that this city is in its last days. And then they make this statement. They say, this city is the cauldron, and we are the meat. Now, that statement takes a little bit of unpacking. It actually sounds, it sounds negative. They're actually bragging on themselves. You see, a cauldron is a pot that you'd put over a fire to cook food. So if you were cooking meat, you had two kinds of meat that you removed from a dead animal. The lesser meat was called the offal, and that's spelled O-F-F-A-L. It's pronounced like offal. It kind of means the same thing. It's the meat you just don't care about as much. Okay, so the offal meat was placed directly on the fire. You took the better meat, the prime meats, okay? Like whenever we say the prime rib, they took that better meat and they placed it in the pot. And then it gets a little juicier and it's able to cook a little better. You're doing that with the better meat. So the better meats, those prime meats, um, the men here are saying that they think they are the prime rib. They think that since they're still alive in Israel, they must be the men that God is most pleased with. So they're using this pot analogy to say they're better than the other types of meat, than the other Jews who've already been taken captive, the Jews like Ezekiel, okay? Because if you remember, 10,000 Jews, they had already been taken captive by the Babylonians. 
So the Jews who are still alive back in Israel, they think they're the special ones, the prime meats, and that those Jews who were taken are the awful Jews. Okay, in reality, the people still alive in Jerusalem, they're going to be plunged into an even worse judgment soon. If you remember, one-third will be slaughtered, one-third are going to starve to death, one-third will be taken prisoner. So when they say the time is not near to build houses, this city is the cauldron and we are the meat, well, that should really be understood as, as actually meaning the opposite of how it sounds to our ears. They're being arrogant. They're denying that God is going to judge them. Instead, they're saying, it's time to plan for the future. They're saying, we're the chosen and the specialist Israelites. And, and so how does God respond to that? Well, that's what we get into next. In verse 5, the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, thus says the Lord, So you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. You have multiplied your slain in this city, and have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Your slain whom you, whom you have laid in the midst of it, they are the meat. And this city is the cauldron, but you shall be brought out of the midst of it. You have feared the sword, and I will bring the sword upon you, declares the Lord God. And I will bring you out of the midst of it, and give you into the hands of foreigners, and execute judgments upon you. Now, just as a reminder, they can't hear Ezekiel saying this, okay? Ezekiel's in that kind of spiritual, you know, the Scrooge realm. He's just observing all this. He's able to talk back and forth with God, but the people can't hear him. So Ezekiel is really saying this for, for our benefit and for the benefit of the people back home to tell them why Jerusalem is going to fall. Okay, so let's put ourselves in their shoes, the, the people in captivity. Let's put ourselves in their shoes. They might have thought the same thing about themselves that the Jews in Jerusalem were saying about them, that they were taken captive because they're the unlucky ones. They're the lesser Israelites. So that's probably how they feel. They probably feel like they were the worst, so they're the first ones to, to feel God's judgment. And yet, what they're going to realize now, as Ezekiel is delivering his message, is that they're actually much better off in captivity in Tel Aviv than the Jews back in Jerusalem are. If they hadn't been removed and taken captive already, they would have been in the place that's going to be wiped out later. Even worse, I mean, if they had still been in Jerusalem, they could have been corrupted by the bad influence of these evil leaders in Jerusalem. They might have turned their backs on God too. So these Jews in captivity, who think that they have it bad, actually they are the lucky ones. These 10,000 Jews are probably the main remnant that's going to be reserved for Israel to, to, for Israel to even have a future. And so what does God say to those in Jerusalem? But he says that you have your pot metaphor wrong. He says, you aren't the meat, you're the butchers. They are the ones who've made a stew out of the citizens of, citizens of Jerusalem. And so God says these leaders will be destroyed. In fact, Micah, and this is like 100 years before, but Micah had said this exact same thing about them back in Micah 3. We're not going to go there today. Um, let's actually just keep reading at verse 10. You shall fall by the sword. I will judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. This city shall not be your cauldron, nor shall you be the meat in the midst of it. I will judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. For you have not walked in my statutes, nor, obey, nor, nor obeyed my rules, but have acted according to the rules of the nations that are around you. So God said a couple times here that he would judge them to the borders of Israel. And this is fulfilled quite literally, um, as recorded in 2 Kings 25 and Jeremiah 52. 
and we won't go into the whole thing because we're, we're going to come to this later in Ezekiel. But in 2 Kings 25, 20, it talks about when some of those Jerusalem dwellers, they were chased to Riblah. Okay, God says he'll run them out. Um, to He'll run them out to the borders of Israel, meaning run you out of town. He'll run them out because they've copied the sinful nations around them rather than copying God's righteous law, the, the law that was written down in the Pentateuch. So a modern idea of this is we could say they wanted to be culturally relevant more than they wanted to be spiritually faithful. And so they copied the nations around them more than God's holiness. And we'll come back to this idea later at the end of the program. Ezekiel eleven thirteen it says, And it came to pass while I was prophesying that Pelatiah the son of Benaiah died. Then I fell down on my face and cried out with a loud voice and said, Ah, oh, Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? Now, I'm going to break in here, too. I want to say this. I think this is where we're going to stop for today, but I'm just going to say this is one of my favorite things that God ever did. God and Ezekiel, they're just having this discussion. They're talking about how bad the people in Jerusalem are, and God's basically like, oh, yeah, watch this. And boom, one of the guys just drops dead in front of everybody. (laughs) It really wigs everyone out. It's like God is saying, boo, okay? I know God's not doing it to be funny. Probably not. I mean, I found it kind of funny. And I say that because I'm a bit of a terrible person, um, as you've probably noticed if you've been listening to this podcast for too long. Sometimes I laugh at things that aren't really that funny uh, when I just don't know how else to react, okay? And, And this doesn't make Ezekiel laugh. He gets scared. You know, Ezekiel's hearing all this information. He's getting more and more freaked out. And then God snaps his fingers and one of the men just goes ahead and drops dead right there. Just an immediate judgment of God. Okay, I almost wonder if God gets a little impatient here and he just has to kill one right now just to show that he means business. You know, I don't know if God's, I'm not saying God's literally impatient or, or like trigger happy. What I would say is like this, this judgment that happens right here, that's just a down payment on everything else that's coming Israel's way. And Ezekiel sees this, he flips out. Okay, which is probably a more natural reaction. But for me, I just since it happened thousands of years ago and I'm just sitting here reading about it, I'll admit, I kind of laughed. Uh, it reminds me of, of when Jesus shows up in Luke 24. I think it's that chapter where it's like after Jesus rose from the dead and he would just kind of pop up here and there and just like scare everybody. <laughs> it said the disciples, they're just sitting there eating a meal. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just appears in their midst is what it says. Just like all of a sudden, he's in the room with them. And he just says, peace be with you. <laughs> I always felt like he was trolling them a little bit with that. Just, just hello, peace be with you. <laughs> just to scare everybody. Um, the disciples were a little bit intimidated by that. You can tell whenever you read it. Uh, it. It's like when I would show up at the church throughout the week, and if the cleaning lady was there, um, it would scare the heck out of her when I'd show up. It doesn't matter how quietly or how loudly I would enter the church. As soon as I walked in, she would just like grab her chest like she's having a heart attack. You know, just it didn't matter what I did. I would always scare her just by walking into the church, you know, randomly throughout the day. Even if it was the time that I always came to church, it, it was she was never ready for it. <laughs> I used to consider just yelling, peace be with you, you know, just to see what would happen. But I didn't do that because I, I wanted to know what was in her hands before I tried something like that. So, um... If you are wanting to just appear out of nowhere in a room full of disciples, I'm not really sure what you'd say if you didn't want to scare them. But I will tell you that peace be with you, that apparently didn't work either. Um, It did not project peace into that room. So I always look at it as Jesus was just kind of like saying boo 
you know, just, just to give him a little jump. Now, that's probably not why God killed Pelatia right in front of Ezekiel. Um, I do think God has a sense of humor. God's probably not doing this to be funny. If God had a list of the top 10 things he ever did, Ezekiel eleven thirteen 13 is probably not on that list, but it's on mine. So Ezekiel, like I said, he didn't take this so well. You know, once again, he exclaims, good grief, God, is anyone going to be saved? So apparently, from what Ezekiel can tell, that number is zero, or almost zero. Um, hardly anyone's going to be saved, if anybody at all. And around this, this time, Jeremiah, he had prophesied uh, in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. He had said, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks truth, I will forgive this city. It's kind of like with Sodom and Gomorrah when Abraham was challenging God to spare the city. You know, he said, if even five good people are in it, could you spare the city? Well, God told Jeremiah he would spare Jerusalem if there was even one. And, you know, hearing that is one thing, but seeing the truthfulness of it with your own eyes, that's another. And Ezekiel is here seeing it, okay? These men, people he knew, people he recognized, Chazaniah, Pelatia, you know, these were probably men that years before they were considered pillars of the community, maybe the, you know, great political leaders in Israel and in Jerusalem. Maybe they were seen as godly leaders, godly men. Uh, Pelatia, his name means Yahweh has delivered. He was the son of Benaiah, which means God has built up. And yet, Jerusalem's decadence it had gotten so thick that the men who had once been the godly examples, well, now they were as much of the part of the problem as anybody. They had been corrupted by the culture. And God is showing here that he says what he means, and he means what he says. When he makes a threat, he carries it out. Sometimes people think that God is not serious because he doesn't carry out his judgments as quickly as you'd think. But honestly, it's just because God is patient. He wants to give time to repent. But whenever you use up God's patience, there's no hope for you. If God says you're going to be chased to the borders of Israel, you'll be chased to the borders of Israel, if you can even make it that far. If God says you're going to die, you're going to die. And you might drop dead right on the spot. So take God seriously. And we are going to stop there in today's verses. Uh, I know I haven't been talking for very long, but I want to just go ahead and share an application of what we've already read before we go on to the rest of the chapter in a future lesson. Now we'll close down in a few minutes with a quick recap um, and some application. Uh, first, let me just ask, do you like fake news? Well, if not, then you definitely don't want to check out my other podcast. It's called Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. And that is a semi-weekly show. I haven't been able to do, to do that one for about a month either. But on that one, we just look at the past week of, of news through kind of a meta-narrative of, of how the media covered those stories. And it's a lot of fun. It's more focused on current events. So if you don't like fake news, then you definitely don't want to come listen to it. But if you like laughing at fake news, then come join the fun. They have new episodes of that one each Friday. And if you have a question on this chapter, leave a comment or shoot us an email to crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects that you think I should tackle in the future. So the next time on this podcast, what I plan to do is take on a dark subject. And I know we've been in a lot of dark subjects, especially lately. Um, Ezekiel is generally a dark book, especially the first half. 
And then on other episodes, I know we've been talking a lot about things like end time judgments, and that led us into a discussion of all the biblical words for hell in, in one of our last episodes. And that episode, it really had me thinking, I think it would be a good idea to review why God made hell in the first place. You know, that's a hard subject to wrestle with. As bad as we know our sins are, it's still sometimes hard to fathom how hell could be a fair punishment for them. But I I think I can provide an explanation for that, and so that's what we're going to do in our next episode. Now, before I get into the applications for today, I do want to give a brief follow-up to the last Ezekiel podcast, and this was over a month ago. It's the one about what Satan looks like. Okay, yes, 2 Corinthians says that he masquerades as an angel of light. But that's a mask. That's what masquerade means. It means it's not his true form. Okay, his real face is not a beautiful light. If you remember, what I said in that episode is that Satan looks like a cow or a bull. Okay, not an angel of light, but a cow. Now, if you haven't heard that before, I know that's a little wild. I give my entire explanation for why that is the case in episode 35. Now, why is that relevant? I mean, we all know that Satan is bad. Is it really important for us to know what kind of animal he most resembles? Well, I do think that knowing that, it provides some clarity to certain things that are even in the Bible and even what we see around us today. So I'm going to play a clip here. This would have gone so great with that last episode um, about what Satan looks like, but, you know, I I haven't found this clip yet. I hadn't seen it online yet. So what you're listening to in this clip, this is some audio from the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games 2022. And the Commonwealth Games, they are kind of like an Olympics that are just in Europe. They have it every four years. And um, so they had it this year in 2022. The next one will be in 2026. And here's what's interesting. The mascot for this event, it's a giant bull. Okay, not just a statue of a bull. It's a robotic bull. It, like, moves around. In the opening ceremony... It involves these people in colorful costumes, and they're dancing around, and they're bowing down to the robotic bull. I want to create an image of a creature that has been celebrated, used, maybe oppressed, but has enormous power, but we see it revealed as a creature of light. And he will be revealed as an iconic symbol of light. So here's a question for you. Why in 2022 are people bowing down to a robotic bull? Well, if you look it up and if you just watch this yourself, I mean, it's the creepiest thing. Um, it's, it's like as a Christian, it's like if you step back into ancient Babylon or, or back into ancient Israel at its low points and, and just saw people worshiping one of the golden calves. That's what it feels like as you're watching people dance around and bow to this, this robot bull. Okay. And this is happening in 2022. It's not ancient times. It looks like ancient times. But it's today. Reuters reports that the robot, the the idol, I I would think of it as an idol, honestly. Reuters reports that the the robot bull idol is sticking around after the games um, when they concluded back on August the 8th. But the the robot bull is going to stick around. Have a permanent place in the center of Birmingham when these games end. And he will become the symbol of this theatrical and inspiring open ceremony and these games. I'm really excited about... First of all, scaring people with the bull, terrifying them, making them feel like it's a scary object, and realizing that that fear was to do with their own preconceptions, that actually 
the bull is a creature of love. And uh, I want them to fall in love with it, I want them to embrace it. Uh, and I think that's a beautiful journey to take the audience on. You know, you just watch this, it doesn't make any logical sense. I mean, why would modern people worship a robot? You know, if you thought idol worship was something behind us in our current rationalistic age, watching a clip like this, this is a wake-up call. And, and why a bull? Like, of all animals to build a robot of and worship it, why a bull? Well, I think it's obvious. Satan is still out there. He's still desiring the worship that belongs to God. So when I look at this, I think it's clear there's a satanic spirit behind that. So that's just a little follow-up to episode, oh, I, I think it was 35. The pre, I, you know, it was basically two episodes ago, two episodes before this one, uh, is called What Does Satan Look Like? So if you go back to that episode, um, you can hear all about that. Um, this is just a little follow-up to that. Okay, let's reflect on today's verses. And, and actually, instead of doing a full recap, I just want to put us into Ezekiel's shoes, into his mindset. Maybe what it would have been before he saw all this stuff in the, in the great big vision. When God called Ezekiel to be a prophet, Ezekiel was probably feeling like, like his life had no purpose. You know, he had trained his whole life to be a priest in the temple. And not long before he was supposed to start his temple service at the age of 30, then all of a sudden he gets kidnapped by the Babylonian army and taken away to live in a strange land. So he probably thought he was dealt a bad hand. And then God calls Ezekiel to be a prophet. And Ezekiel finds out he's actually the lucky one. It's those in Jerusalem who have the darkest days of all ahead that, you know, the people, he finds out that the people he thought had it easier were actually the people about to be slaughtered by the sword of Babylon. And that if he had been where he wanted to be back in chapter one, he would have been starved or killed too. Or, or even probably corrupted by the pagan worship going on in the city. So everything that Ezekiel once knew, or what he thought he knew, it had all been reversed. Being among the earlier captives to Babylon, that was actually a good thing for him. He wasn't able to fulfill the purpose that he had trained his whole life for, you know, to be a priest, to present the people to God. Instead, now he was going to be a prophet and present God to the people. In that temple that he had always dreamed in serving in, God wasn't even going to be in that temple much longer anyway. That temple was ground zero for God's judgment. So I, I guess I say all that to say this. Sometimes what look like detours in life, they are actually God repositioning us for where he actually wants us. You know, maybe he gives you a flat tire and you don't know it, but it saves you from a car accident. You know, maybe you lose your job and you have to move into a smaller house. And then the next year, that house that you were in, it gets blown away in a tornado. Or maybe that person you were dreaming of marrying breaks up with you. But God knew that that marriage would have been a disaster. Or maybe you don't get that dream job that you wanted, but it's because God had an even better job waiting for you down the road. So life's detours, they seem to take you away from your hopes and plans and dreams. But perhaps instead they take you to God's destination, to take you where he actually wants you. If you're a believer, you can rest assured that all things work together for our good. That God works out your problems uh, because often those problems, they are a part of his plan. So whenever we get to heaven and whenever we finally do understand all things, all these things that we went through on the earth, we're not going to be just thanking God for the prayers that he answered. We'll be thanking him for the prayers that he did not answer. The things that we asked for in foolishness or in ignorance. The things that we thought we needed, but they actually would have been bad for us. There is this movie that I remember watching as a kid 
Uh, it was called Bedazzled, okay? And it was about this guy. He's played by Brendan Fraser, and he makes a deal with the devil, who was played by Elizabeth Hurley. And he agrees to sell his soul to the devil if the devil will give him seven wishes. And so throughout the movie, he, keep, he keeps wishing for various things, and the devil gives them to him. But every time the devil gives him something that he wanted, it always backfires for him. You know, he, he wants to be rich. He thinks the money... Now, this movie's a comedy, um, but, I mean, he wants to be rich. He thinks money's going to be the answer to all his problems. But it just ends up making his life a mess, you know, until he wishes for the next thing to get out of that mess. And on and on the movie goes. Every time he wishes for something, it it just backfires in some way. So it's not a, re- a religious movie at all. Or it's not a Christian movie, I should say. But the moral of the story is to be careful what you wish for. And, um, and I think the movie, even though it's not christian but it it does reveal something that's probably true about the real devil like if the devil could control the outcomes for everybody that's probably exactly how he'd operate he would give us everything we want even when what we want would be bad for us the devil would probably take a sick delight in granting all of our foolish prayer requests giving us our own destruction every time we asked for it and god does not operate that way god loves us God loves us so much that he doesn't give us everything that we ask for, and he doesn't give it to us on the timetable that sounds great to us. God loves us too much to answer every time we pray. And I'm so thankful for that. Sometimes God says no. And sometimes God says not yet. Sometimes God says that you're praying for step D, but we really need to get through steps A, B, and C first. Sometimes God says that that thing that you're asking for, it would be really, really bad for you if he gave it to you. And that's why when Jesus told us to pray, he said we pray, thy will be done right at the beginning. And that means that we're giving God permission to say no. We give God permission to say no if anything that we pray is out of his perfect will. Something else Jesus said that really helped me uh, a long time ago, back when I was praying to receive the Holy Spirit, um, I remember those days. Now, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit before, just the idea of it can be really intimidating because you don't know exactly what's going to happen, like what it's supposed to feel like. And so since I was praying for something spiritual, I actually used to be afraid that like the devil would try to trick me if I was praying to receive the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't know why I thought this. It's just that since I was praying for something spiritual, um, I'm just telling you what my, what my mind cooked up. Okay. <laughs> just telling you what my mind cooked up. I know it's going to sound silly, So I'm sorry if this sounds wrong, but I was just afraid that the devil would try to use that as an opportunity to like slip something else into me. Okay. Like if I tried to let the Holy Spirit fill me, that somehow it would open me up to some kind of spiritual attack from the devil. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but that was just a fear that I had about seeking the Holy Spirit. I was afraid that if it got too weird, that the devil might try to to use it to mess with me. Or I don't know, like what if the Holy Spirit tries to fill me and then I do something to mess it up? So I was really inexperienced at that. I was scared of the unknown. And that's when I found such comfort in these verses from Luke 11. And this is another place where Jesus teaches us about how to pray. And this is what he says. It's in Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
So whenever we ask for the Holy Spirit from God, he's not going to let anything else come our way. And we can have peace about that. I mean, it's such a wonderful truth. When I read this, I felt like Jesus had been saying it just for me. You don't have to fear the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God isn't giving us a scorpion. God always has our best interests in mind whenever he answers our prayers. Jesus said this to the people around him. He says, you're not even that great of people. <laughs> you know, frankly, Jesus, he told them, you being evil, at least you know how to give good gifts to your children. So how much better do you think God is at it? And honestly, that's wisdom. You know, if I gave my three-year-old everything he wanted, whenever he wanted it, he would be eating popsicles and candy bars for three meals a day. Okay, so we know when it's good to say no to our kids and do what's best for them. And God is even better at that than you are. So trust him. Ezekiel had probably prayed that he could go home to Jerusalem years ago. But now look at what's about to happen to Jerusalem. I mean, people are already dropping dead and it's gonna be wiped out. Ezekiel thought he drew the short straw in life, but there was nowhere better for an Israelite to be at this time than right where God already had him. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, be careful what you wish for.